This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Hockey Central here on Sportsnet 960. Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour. Uh, we are going to be joined at the top of the hour here by Saad Youssef. He covers the Dallas Stars at The Athletic. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Joe Pavelski. He is not expected to play tonight in Game 2 uh, of what should be a pretty electric series, very physical one, a battle of a series between the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars. We'll tee up that matchup. Game 2 goes tonight in Dallas. Uh, and then Darren Haynes from the Canadian Press, he covers the Calgary Flames. He's done so for decades now. He's going to join us in the second half of the show, uh, talk a little bit about Dustin Wolf, American Hockey League Goalie of the Year. That was just announced before we got on the show uh, for the second straight year, back-to-back AHL Goalie of the Year for Dustin Wolf, the first goalie to ever win back-to-back, actually, since the awards inception and if we go back to the whl and the chl well this is the fourth year in a row where he's been named goalie of the year in the league in which he plays he had back-to-back whl goalie of the year titles and a chl goalie of the year mixed in there uh an incredible stretch for dustin wolf so we'll chat with that uh, we'll chat about that excuse me with darren haynes coming up later in the show and uh, look ahead at where the calgary flames should go next so that'll be coming up in the second half of the show with Darren Haynes. Before we get to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and our guests of the day, a uh, little recap from last night. It was uh, night two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, really interesting games, just as we thought, just as we all expected. The Winnipeg Jets, really impressive performance. Uh, they beat the Vegas Golden Knights 5-1 in Vegas, uh, the number one team in the Western Conference. I said yesterday on the show, if you were listening, if Connor Hellebuck is dialed in, the Jets could do pretty well. Uh, but Connor Hellebuck didn't even need to be dialed in. I mean, he was. He only allowed one goal against, uh, but he only had 17 shots including two in the third period. Winnipeg shut everything down in the defensive zone in very Rick Bonus fashion last night. Vegas just looked like they weren't ready. Uh, Jack Eichel and Mark Stone struggled. I mean, Stone, some rust, <laughs> you know, admittedly or understandably, I should say, uh, with some rust after back surgery. Uh, Jack Eichel playing in his first ever playoff game. Uh, but Stone, zero shots on goal. Eichel only two and both were a dash three. Vegas is going to need more from their stars if they're going to have some success in the postseason. That was the best that I've seen the Jets look in weeks uh, I was very hard on the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, as most people were, they did not look good down the stretch. They completely opened the door for the Flames and the Predators to make the playoffs. I mean, they ended up shutting it. They make the playoffs, uh, have a really good game one. So it's a good time to start getting it together if you're the Winnipeg Jets. And we've seen them play the spoiler before against the Edmonton Oilers a few years back. They kind of do the, the the big comeback against Edmonton. So we know they can have success in the playoffs with a pretty similar core group um one of the other big takeaways one of the other big moments in that game it was a pretty scary one with morgan Barron. uh there was a scrum in front of the net big pile on and laurent bressois skate catches him and almost gets stuck under his visor uh it could have been really scary like right above his eye 75 plus stitches later uh Barron said after the game that he lost count 
Um, you know, but 75 plus stitches later and he returns to the game. Uh, wild stuff. Uh, just glad that he seems to be okay. He said he could see out of his eye and obviously he was okay enough to return. So lots going on in that series there. Uh, the Seattle Kraken also beat the Colorado Avalanche 3 1 last night. This is going to be probably a more interesting series than people maybe gave the Kraken credit for. I think a lot of people looked at this one and just said, yep. Uh, Colorado's going to blow through them. It's going to be an easy one for the Avs. Um, I talked about Colorado and how they didn't look quite as scary as last year. We all heard the quotes from Daryl Sutter last year heading into the playoffs. And it was like, if you're the wild card team that has to go against Colorado, it's going to be a waste of eight days. Um, I don't think that's the case this year. I think Colorado is still the team to beat, um, obviously, as the, the reigning Stanley Cup champions. Um, but I, they're not giving me the same scary big bad wolf vibe as last year uh, and a bunch of abs fans called me an idiot for saying that but in game one they weren't super scary the seattle kraken uh played a really good game uh this series is going to come down to the colorado star power against seattle's depth and on paper obviously you take nathan mckinnon kale mccarr miko rantanen over you know jared mccann and daniel sprong but what makes this kind of a fun matchup is Seattle has depth guys who have the ability to shut down those Av stars. Yanni Gourd was all over the game last night. His fingerprints were all over it. He did well to limit McKinnon and Rantanen as much as he could. He's a guy that we know has been there, done that when it matters the most, and he's proven to be highly valuable in the playoffs, and, and he was last night. Uh, Colorado's still the favorite here. Don't get me wrong. I did not pick the Seattle Kraken to win this series, but... I think it'll be a little bit more interesting than we thought heading into game one. Uh, Rangers beat the Devils 5-1. to one. We spent a lot of time teeing up that matchup yesterday on the show, so I won't go into it too, too much here. Uh, but the big takeaway, I mean, the Devils just looked like they were overwhelmed by the moment. First 10 minutes was not good. They failed to register a shot on two early power plays while the Rangers got out to a 2 nothing lead. Obviously, some jitters there, didn't handle the puck well. Lots of missed shots, missed opportunities. Vitek Vanacek, not good enough. Four goals on 22 shots. Game two goes on Thursday. And uh, as Lindy Ruff said, the good thing for the Devils now is they've got a game under their belt. So we'll see if there's improvement there. And uh, the final one here is Tampa Bay beats Toronto 7-3. to Embarrassing start for the Leafs. A really horrible game for Leafs fans, but a fun one for people who hate Toronto, which I believe is a lot of people listening to this program. <laughs> Except maybe producer Cam, I'm sorry. It's tough out here. I, <laughs> he's having a he's having a tough time. Text line, let me There's, have it. <laughs> there is so much at stake. Like just to set let's, let's just set the scene for a second here. It's game one. There's so much at stake. There's all this pressure. The future of the core, the future direction of the franchise. There's jobs on the line. The GM, the coach. And all it took was 78 seconds for Tampa Bay to come in and make a statement and remind everybody that they still exist and that they are still, they are the team that has come out of the East the last, what, three years running? Like, let's not, let's not forget that here. <laughs> Justin Hall is on the ice for six goals again. Sam Sonov let in six before getting yanked in the second intermission. Michael Bunting got booted from that game after a hit to the head of Eric Cernak. He, Cernak will not play in game two. Bunting's interview, or his, his hearing, I don't know why I said interview, 
he'll have a hearing with uh, the Department of Player Safety this afternoon. I believe that was scheduled for 3 o'clock Eastern, um, so that should be wrapped up. We are waiting for for the news of that. I mean, it's hard to imagine him not being suspended, especially with Cernak not playing in Game 2. Looks like Matthew Nyes is going to step into the top nine if Bunting is suspended. Uh, some other notes from that series. Tanner Janot is a possibility for Game 2. He skated today at Lightning Practice in Toronto, and Victor Hedman will be a game-time decision. Lots to unpack there. And uh, obviously tonight, actually I should say, home teams went two and six, two and six in game one over the last couple days here. A very chaotic start to the playoffs, uh, but lots of game twos on tonight. Islanders in Carolina, Auntie, Auntie Ranta starts for the Canes again. The Panthers in Boston, no Patrice Bergeron. Bruce Cassidy said it was due to injury, not illness. So something to keep an eye on there for the Panthers. Sam Bennett will return to the lineup. He slotted back in on the second line at morning skate this morning. And Alex Lyon was tapped to start again. Kings are in Edmonton tonight. Uh, Gabe Velarde is back for the Kings. Still no Kevin Fiala. And then, of course, we've got this Minnesota-Dallas series tonight as well. And that brings us to Exhale from Me, the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. We've got Saad Youssef from The Athletic. He covers the Dallas Stars. We're going to tee up that matchup, look at game one, look ahead to game two. Saad, how are we doing? What's uh, what's the feeling like over there? <laughs> how, how are things going in I'm Dallas right now? They're going great. They're going good. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, in some ways, game one really reminded me of Last year's series, the Stars had against uh, against the Flames. In some ways, it was similar. In some ways, the, the script was flipped a little bit. Uh, the similarity was Jake Ottinger did everything in his power to will the Stars to win, and the Stars did nothing to support him. And then um, the flip side was last year, it was uh, a defenseman for the Stars that was the villain um, mm-hmm. in you know on the road. And this year, it's a defenseman. Uh, against the stars who is the villain on the road so um i just had some parallels come to me from uh, the series that the stars played last year in calgary <laughs> i was thinking the other day i guess it was on monday i don't even know yeah monday it was game one i don't know what day it is i i miss being in dallas in the playoffs i was watching the game the crowd was electric i loved the environment and i was like wow I miss this. <laughs> I'm sure Flames fans miss being yeah, in the playoffs was, as well, but I was like, I miss and, being in Dallas for the postseason. Yeah, and Pete DeVore actually singled that out the next day where he was like, he, he genuinely seemed like, not necessarily shocked, but he was just like, he didn't really know what to expect from Dallas, uh, you know, at home in the playoffs, and he was just really, really impressed with that. Absolutely. Um, let's get into, let's maybe start with, with game one there, Saad, because I, I spent a lot of time on this show talking about the game during yesterday's show and the Dumba hit on Joe Pavelski. It looks like Pavelski, unsurprisingly, will not play tonight. Um, what are you hearing about how Pavelski is doing and, and just how big of a loss is that for the Stars? Yeah, well, first of all, Pavelski is doing a lot better. Um, the day after, so yesterday when the team came for meetings, he did not come. He was just at home resting. Uh, today at morning skate, he was in the building. He was not on the ice, but he was in the building, which was a good step forward. And 
Pete DeBoer, who was also his head coach in San Jose in 2019 when he took that uh, cross-check from Cody Eakin against the Golden Knights, uh, you know, he said that this time this injury is not, is not nearly as bad uh, or doesn't appear to be nearly as bad as Pavelski's uh, head injury in 2019. So um, pretty positive news on that front on just how, on his general well-being. Um, his absence, though, is going to be just, you know, it's going to be monumental. When you talk about a guy who's third on the team in scoring, he has 77 points this year. He's on the, he's the heartbeat of, uh, of, you know, the top line. He's right there with Robertson and Hintz. He's on the first power play unit. Uh, his leadership is, you know, unquestioned. And I know that's a cliche type thing, but like, you know, when you're down two nothing or something during an intermission, you, you want to hear from someone like Joe Pavelski. So um, all those things are going to be missed uh, a lot, but I think, on the ice, his greatest uh, his greatest miss is going to really be just on five on five that top line because the uh, impact that it's going to have up and down the lineup. Tyler Sagan is going to be slotting up uh, to Pavelski Scott spot, but then that brings fourth liner Ty Delandria up to uh, a line with Max Domi and um, and uh, and Mason Marchment. So. Just a lot of shuffling, and Pavelski's impact, I think, is going to be, or his absence is going to be huge. You have been very vocal about this on social media since game one, Sada, and we don't need to spend too, too much time on it because it's, you know, there's a lot of depth that needs to go into the conversation, and I know that people, it's uh, very polarizing, apparently, to talk about why we should be protecting, you know, human beings and, and their brains, but do you think there should have been a penalty on that play in game one, the Dumba hit on Joe Pavelski. I, I just think the fact that there was a four on four and then nothing and everything just kind of went back to normal after Joe Pavelski was, was hurt in the way that he was just, just felt a little bit strange to me. Yeah, it did to me as well. And, and, you know, for me, I, I, I did not really see this coming at all in terms of the reaction to my story being the way that it was. On both sides, by the way, like wild fans have really pounced on me and, and, and I, and I get it. But at the same time, I, like, I, I kid you not, I've heard from play-by-play voices. I've heard from junior hockey players. I've heard from, I heard from a, an assistant GM in the NHL saying like, they just wholeheartedly agreed with my, with, with what I wrote and, and, and felt like they wanted to do that, but they don't feel like there's enough support um, to kind of take that initiative right now. And basically mm-hmm. my thing is that it, it's not so much, um, the, it's not so much making contact with Pavelski that was that to me was out of bounds. To me, it was he had enough time, like Dumba had enough time to ease up and at least not launch himself upwards into Pavelski's head or neck area. Like people will dispute whether he made contact with the head. Um, I'm not here to do that, but what's very clear is that he did launch into it. I'm not even calling it a it a uh, dirty hit by Dumba or really his fault. I'm just saying the NHL has to do a better job of protecting players because there was more than enough time for him to ease up. And I I just think that that's an initiative that the league has to take. And, you know, it's not encouraging when you see the commissioner come out and say that there's literally the next day today, the commissioner Batman comes out and says, there's no link between CTE and hockey. And, and, you know, when you have that kind of culture and that kind of element, that's what really, you know, annoys me about what happened to Pavelski because, We've seen this happen over and over in the league, and you're never going to avoid all head injuries, but you can definitely take steps to discourage players from, um, you know, making those kind of hits. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a great point. Um, we can move on from that because there's lots to dig into with with this series. Obviously, Dallas loses in the double OT in game one. Is there any panic at all heading into game two tonight? I, I mean, I thought Dallas looked like the better team for long stretches on Monday night, and they probably would have won that game. I mean, they would have won that game had it not been from some huge stops from Philip Gustafson in both overtime periods and that one block by Brock Faber in the double OT. Like, there were just so many moments where it looked like Dallas was about to win that game and have it in the bag Ottinger was incredible um but I guess it, when it all comes down to it that Pavelski injury is probably the biggest reason to feel a little bit on edge heading into tonight yeah that the absence of Pavelski is one reason to feel on edge but other than that you know you ask like you know how do the stars feel honestly shockingly calm like not like I think uh like to the point where the other day yesterday like Pete DeVore was saying like, Hey, like, you know, if we, if we're going to Minnesota down 2-0, that's fine. Like, you know, like as long as we play good hockey and do our, do what we're supposed to. So like they're very relaxed They're uh, in terms of their demeanor. There's not a lot of panic. Tyler Sagan was the same way. Uh, Pretty, pretty calm in, in kind of, you know, their approach. And I think a lot of it has to do with what you mentioned. Like in a lot of ways, they were the better team, um, you know, aside from the scoreboard. So uh, they, they played well if they played the same way. Um, and, and by the way, the Pavelski, uh, the, a lot of how, when they started playing well came after the Pavelski injury. So mm-hmm. it's almost like they rallied behind him. So I think they, they feel like they can, um, you know, have the same kind of game. They just need the pucks to go in this time. Right, yeah, and there's this sense I, I saw from some of the, the quotes from Morning Skate and from practice yesterday. It seems like there's this sense that, like, if we can get this series going longer or, you know, make our playoff lives go longer, get into round two, then we'll get Pavelski back and, you know, let's do this for him. Let's make sure that he can play another playoff game. Like, they can control how far they get in here uh, and make sure that he plays again. But there are some things to clean up. You had a great piece out this morning about the Game 2 outlook um, because at the end of the day after one game they they lost on home ice they are down without they are without one of their best players and leaders and there's some question marks still so how can Dallas write the ship in game two Saad yeah I think the first thing is that they really need to make sure that they stay disciplined um you know again hearkening back to my first playoff series which was the Calgary series last year you kind of saw how like sometimes when emotions were getting just like riled up like there were so many penalties there was so much trying to like a lot of retribution trying to get back at uh, you know the other side and Calgary was just so much more talented overall than uh than Dallas was that's not the case this year with Dallas and Minnesota they're closer in terms of their skill level and everything whereas if Dallas tries to go out of their way and lose their composure and try to go after Dumba or try to react to Ryan Reeves or anything like that then Dallas is going to find themselves down in the series because uh, they just don't have that kind of talent overload that, especially with Pavelski being out. So I think the first thing is they need to keep their composure. Ryan Suter had a bunch of dangerous um, uh, cross checks against Kaprizov that went uncalled. If those start getting called, um, uh, you know, again, Minnesota's on the power play and it's going to cost Dallas. So for me, that's the main thing. And then the other thing is, like, just let Jake Ottinger do his thing. Like, don't make it more difficult. Don't put him on the PK a bunch of times. Don't turn up a bunch of odd man rushes. Just let him play five-on-five hockey 
and he's going to turn, he's going to do his job. But once you start having these breakaways, like, uh, and power play goals and things like that, that's where they're going to struggle defensively. How would you describe the way that Jake Ottinger is able to elevate his game in the playoffs? Like we all know that in this market, we all know in Calgary that Jake Ottinger is a gamer. That was the single best goalie performance I think I've ever seen in a playoff series last year. And, and again, he looked great against Minnesota on Monday night. So what is it about Jake Ottinger that allows him to just level up when it matters the most? It's just the mentality. He really loves being the villain. Um, and this goes back a long ways down to his like uh, childhood days in Minnesota, but he loves being the villain. He has like, I, I think his save percentage is like 30.3% higher on the road this year than at home. Like he just loves being in those tougher environments. And, and again, going back to the Calgary series, like I know Dallas lost, but game seven was probably his masterpiece. And so you know, the higher the stakes and, and the more adversity there is, the better he usually is. And I think it's just a mental thing. It's, uh, you know, I, you know, it's kind of like that Jordan-esque quality of, you know, like, you know, he just kind of takes things a little personally and then and then kind of unleashes on the opposition. <laughs> um, you know, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, Saad, is it, it's very obvious that the Wilds' game plan is to be physical, particularly with the Stars in Dallas. Robertson took a bunch of hits in Game 1. There were a couple that probably should have been interference calls. We don't, we don't need to talk about the refs, though. But Game 1 was like right. an all-time ref joke game. It was, it was terrible. I have no stakes in this, and I was getting really irritated just watching on my couch with a bowl of popcorn. Um, but it did seem like there was like a real you know, pointed effort to, to be physical, to take the time and space away by laying the body on Jason Robertson in particular. And, and I think it worked. He scored in the power play, um, but it didn't seem like he had much room or time to, to be particularly effective at five on five. Is there any level of concern there when it comes to Jason Robertson? Because I mean, he was, I can he was on my heart ballot. I thought he had a great regular season, but, but I think the stars really need him to be more impactful in the playoffs if they're going to get through round one. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He was on, Again, he was on my heart ballot as well. But when you talk about, you know, translating game from regular season to playoffs, it's a different beast. And, you know, last year we saw that against Calgary. In seven games, he had one goal and three assists. In the last two weeks, he's had two games like that in the regular season. And so for some reason, his game hasn't translated to the playoffs the way that you'd like for it to. And, and it didn't last year and so far through one game like you said, scored on the power play, but even strength, um, it's going to be, a, it's going to be important for Dallas to get a lot more out of Robertson. And it's going to be tougher without Pavelski being there as the staple on the line as well. So a lot of it's going to fall on Robertson. And I think he, he has everything there to make it happen, uh, especially with his really deceptive shot. You know, it's just, it's not like opponents know when he's going to shoot the puck. He just kind of skates around and then all of a sudden the puck is at the net. And so he has that where you can't really game plan to try to, you know, turn him off at the point of attack. But uh, but they're going to need more from him. Dallas is going to need more from him at even strength. And, you know, I think it's going to help him to have Sagan there as well, just because, again, it's another playmaker, kind of like Pavelski is as well. But I think that should help. But at, but at the end of the day, it comes down to Robertson, and he has to he has to just take his game up another level. 
Um, you know, one of the kind of, I guess, he's probably not underrated, but I actually thought that Max Domi stood out on Monday night. And I had my, we talked about Max Domi a lot on this show because he was one of those guys as a pending UFA that people were talking about in Calgary. And I didn't think that if you had to give up a lot that, you know, I don't think you give up a lot for Max Domi, but I think he was a bit of a pleasant surprise to watch him uh, on Monday night. I think he actually looks like a pretty solid pickup for the Stars. Yeah, and this is why they picked him up for the playoffs. This is exactly, you know, the moment that, you know, they need him to step up. And now with, uh, it, it, you know, his value and his importance only amplifies against to come back to the Pavelski injury because now you lose Sagan off that line. You need Domi and Marchment. They're, you know, Ty Delandria is really a good bottom six forward, but he's playing out of his element a little bit. You need more from Domi. And I thought Domi looked, looked good as well, you know, against, uh, against the Wild in game one. The Stars just have to make sure that he continues to be at least not a complete liability on the defensive end. It's, it's <laughs> what he does offensively is well-documented, and he's a, he's a big factor there. And he doesn't need to be, you know, a rope hints type forward where he's actually, like, you know, making defensive plays. But he just can't lose his assignment. Um, he, can't, he can't become like a black hole on defense uh, where, you know, the other team can just go attack him. And so that's kind of where I'm looking at Domi the most. There were times in the regular season where that did happen and it cost the stars. And so now with the spotlight being as bright as it is and, um, you know, his line being a little bit broken up because of uh, Sagan having to elevate, I think it's going to be important for Domi to be as much of a complete player as he possibly can. Not for nothing, he was the first one in on, on Matt Dumba after the hit on Pavelski, too. So I'm yeah, sure his he teammates he, he take note right of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, Saad, what do we think? Is this game going to end before 1 in the morning tonight? <laughs> I sure prediction? hope so. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's another underrated storyline of this is uh, just how irked both teams really are of the start time. Both, both coaches, both players have been taking a lot of shots. Uh, through the media about why they have to be always be the ones that are playing at you know starting at 9 p.m. Central Time, but I sure hope <laughs> we do wrap up before one. But you know, it, it, hope uh, you know as long, as long as it doesn't go double overtime, we'll be good. Hey, we lived through that last year too. Uh, that first round matchup yeah. last year, everyone remembers the Daryl Sutter like, oh, I hate these, I hate these start times clips. It was uh, not great, yeah. not great for making uh, deadlines either when you're. When no. the editing desk closes, or for growing the game in thirty March, minutes you after, want to be growing it in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, that's more important than our deadlines. That's something only we care about. So thanks for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> thanks, Todd. Well, thank you for doing this. Uh, you know, enjoy the game tonight, and hopefully, you're not sitting at the arena until one or two a.m. tonight. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, Haley. All right, there it goes, Saad Yusuf. He covers the Dallas Stars for the Athletic. Um, as I said on, on the chat there, being in Dallas last year for the playoffs was actually electric. That that arena is super fun. Uh, I miss being on the road in the playoffs, and I'm sure Flames fans miss watching those playoff games because that first-round series against the Stars, I mean, it wasn't – it was a lot of people on the outside, I think, thought it was boring because there wasn't a whole lot of offense, but there was a lot going on there. Ottinger, you get the OT winner in Game 7 from Johnny Gaudreau. Just lots of good stuff in that playoff series. So 
Um, I'm sorry that Flames fans don't really get to talk about a playoff round this year. You get to hear about all the other ones. Uh, but coming up next on the show, we will talk more about the Flames with Darren Haynes from the Canadian Press. He's going to join us. We'll talk about Dustin Wolf. Uh, we'll talk about what comes next for Calgary, what should come next for Calgary. If you have any thoughts, you want to share your opinion on where the Flames should go next, uh, let us know on the text line 960-960. And just a reminder that that conversation with Saad was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take order delivery at 403-248-3344. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with that conversation with Darren Haynes. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Final segment, second half of the hour here on Hockey Central and Sportsnet 960. We've got four big playoff matchups coming up tonight. But before we get to all of that, we're going to head right back to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline and bring in a friend of the show, Darren Haynes, he's from the Canadian Press. He's covered the Calgary Flames for decades. Darren, how are we doing? Have you been staying up watching all the games? Are you just, you know, focusing on Dustin Wolf? Like, what's going on? How are you? (laughs) I watched night one. I was busy last night. I missed the chaos, although I caught caught lots of the storylines from last night. But um, I'll tell you, I have to say, for the... uh, just get in nation it's been a good start to the playoffs with what six underdogs already up one nothing yeah and uh i read the stat already home teams in game one went two and six (laughs) i think the only teams that won at home it was carolina and boston so yeah lots of underdogs here i don't know if this is a good or a bad thing for nhl gms who just want to get in like, this is probably a bad thing for Flames fans, right? This is, like, just giving fuel to the, we can be mediocre, just get into the playoffs, and anything can happen. This is not, and, this is not what guess, people want to see. <laughs> well, I, I think, I, I, not, that seems to be the sense. But, I mean, I think there's people in different, I don't know, there's, there's so many different, uh, I think people want success. I think people think they want to rebuild, but they always you always look at the rebuilds that go right when you when you think you want to rebuild, you never think about all the teams that then end up missing the playoffs for eight out of ten years or whatever, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's uh it's an interesting situation here and um but watching the playoffs is is, is I think unfortunate. You know, I was watching the Seattle mm-hmm. win a game last night and Nobody convinced me. No one can convince me that that Calgary did not have a more talented team than Seattle. But there you go. Seattle gets in, and uh, was that going to be a waste of eight days? Well, maybe ten days. But uh, <laughs> they're they're already looking good. So it's it's uh, it's an interesting time in this city, for sure. Well, the difference with the Seattle Kraken versus the Calgary Flames is the Kraken actually had you know. <laughs> Several players, you know, have 20 goal seasons and players like playing above what they were expected to do. Like Daniel Sprong, I mean, he had 21 goals and 46 points this season. Where would that rank on the Flames? <laughs> like we're looking at players who maybe technically on paper would have overachieved, uh, whereas Calgary had a bunch of players who, you know, didn't maybe live up to to what they were advertised and uh, won teams in the playoffs and just beat the Avs in game one and the other ones uh, on the outside looking in. 
Yeah, it's hunger, isn't it? Does, does it kind of yep. paint the picture of, of how uh, how important it is and how good it is when you have guys that are trying to establish themselves? They, there's there's not long long term deals, and they've got some deals that uh, you know that that have some length to them, but nothing. You know, you know, I don't know. It's just it, it's really an interesting kind of situation, and um, it just. I'll be fascinated to see how it plays out. I love the playoffs. Love, love how how the, the best of seven is so great because mm-hmm. you know you you get all caught up in the first game, but then all eight series can be tied one one, or we could have a bunch of two O's and then even more, you know, tightened up uh, uh, butt cheeks for some of these uh, favorites that are <laughs> supposed to roll into the second round. So it's uh, yeah, lots of compelling watching ahead. I, I love the first round of the NHL playoffs in particular. It's one of my favorite times of year. Me too. This is the best part of the playoffs other than, you know, if we get a good Stanley Cup final matchup, there's always like maybe, you know, the the conference finals are great. But I, I the moment when everybody gets to lift the cup finally at the end, it's great. But I love the first round of the playoffs. Um, the one team that is in the playoffs is going to be the Calgary Wranglers. Um, and the news of the day in Calgary is that Dustin Wolf wins AHL Goalie of the Year again. Back-to-back goalie of the year wins for Dustin Wolf four, if we consider the fact that he won back-to-back in the WHL before turning pro. 42 wins, a 932 save percentage, 2.09 goals against average, and seven shutouts. We've talked about Dustin Wolf a lot, you and I, and on this program. Should he be in the NHL next year? <laughs> um <clears throat> Great question. Uh, I, I think <laughs> in maybe in a scenario where where the the current goaltenders are in a different contractual situation, I think he probably should be. Probably could be definitely. I, I'm just not sure it's going to be the case here, just given the current state situation. You know, he, he's not he's not you know keeping a goalie in the minors for a little bit longer than maybe. You had to is never necessarily a bad thing. He he just turned 22. What mm-hmm. what you do want to make sure is is he's either playing a lot or playing enough. I, I think the one concern, if you were to say move Dan Bladar and keep Jacob Markstrom and maybe go with a Markstrom and Wolf combo, is what's the coach's perspective? Because we just mm-hmm. saw Daryl Sutter start Markstrom. Is it? 18 of the last 19 or 17 out of the last 18, you don't want your 22 year old goaltending prospect wearing a ball cap for six weeks, right? Like that. So, so I, I think, does he have the, has he shown everything he could to be that he should get that opportunity? Absolutely. But, you know, I, I don't think you want him backing up either. So do you go into next season status quo Kind of see see if they can't maybe see if a market develops for a goaltender if if Wolf continues to be what he is and and maybe they do want to move a goalie and maybe another team needs to maybe they lose a goalie to injury that that gives you a little bit of cushion at least you could start the year play every game and then just kind of see how it plays out that's probably what I think will happen but you know credit to him and and you know what I really like about him is when we had the chance to see him in that NHL game like he he's got the maturity too right this isn't a, a guy that that where the moment looks too big for him he just looks like he's taking it all in he's got a good demeanor um yeah and and the stats speak for themselves at some point you have to just say you know what forget about his height look he's stopping the puck 
stop the pucks at yeah. every level. He stopped the pucks two years now as a pro. I don't think the height, it just becomes less and less of an issue as long as you keep putting up the totals. What's interesting to me about this as we look at the Flames is, you know, I think when you look at the numbers, Dustin Wolf, there, you're right. There is nothing wrong with him marinating in the American Hockey League, but I also feel like he doesn't really have anything left to prove at that level. But the big question is, what do the Flames do now when they've got the goalie picture that they do? Markstrom has three years left, the $6 million uh, ticket and no move clause. Dan Vladar, two years left, $2.2 million, uh, and Dustin Wolf is is still obviously under team control. I think he's got one year left after the season ends with his entry level deal. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Darren, but it's tough to formulate a plan with your goalie picture when you don't have a general manager in place right now. Obviously Don Maloney is the interim general manager, but he's already said they're, they're going to be looking to, to hire somebody in that spot. He's not going to be the GM long-term. And so you would think that look, the, the goalie market, for UFAs this year looks pretty weak. Like we've got Jonathan Quick, uh, Simeon Varlamov, Tristan Jari, Cam Talbot. Um, like you go down the list and there's a lot of old underperforming goaltenders who are going to be on the free agent market this year, which makes you think that teams who need goalies, starting goalies next season are going to want to go via the trade route and the Flames have three goalies who realistically could get NHL games next season. So I do wonder if that is something that whoever takes over as general manager in Calgary is going to need to take a good hard look at because there's probably some value there for somebody like Dan Vladar. I mean, there's we know that there's going to be value for someone like Dustin Wolf, but I don't think anyone would want to see him out the door. Um, so I think that's something that they're going to have to take a look at. Uh, yeah, sure, you could hold on to all three, but what if you could get something good for one of them? I mean, the Senators don't have a goalie this year. Maybe What would they pay for, for one of those guys? I don't have anything behind this. This isn't me reporting anything that they're going to trade a goalie here. That's just one of the things that come to mind when I'm looking at this situation. Yeah, I think Marsham's got a, a no-move clause, so you wonder. You know, I, I think the caveat with no-move clauses is, is they're always negotiable. Um, you know, we've already heard you know, it was on Friday where two of his Swedish countrymen were lukewarm on uh, staying long-term in the organization when they were asked, both Michael Backlund and Elias Lindholm. You know, maybe maybe that kind of changes the tune for Jacob Markstrom too, if 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 uh, you know if that's kind of a trend. So I think any of those goalies, but I'm with you. I don't think they want to move Wolf for sure. But you know, if you look at at, at Vladar, you look at Markstrom. There's different reasons. I mean, I think they'd love to keep keep Vladar too. I mean, look at how this is still a guy. I think we forget that this is still a guy very much with the future ahead of him too. Like this is not long ago where he was in the minors, right? So, yeah. so talk about really cementing your crease for a long time if you ended up going forward with a, a Bladar and Wolf combo, but where is the comfort level in that? And again, that may hinge on who's the coach, who's the GM, you know, that sort of thing. So, so much to be worked out. I think Bladar is an easy contract to move. I think there's a lot of potential there. I think when people saw it, yeah, did he scuffle a little bit of time this year? But yeah, he also went two months without losing. So, you know, for that price tag, that's a very movable contract, I think, and especially with the uh, with the weak uh, UFA market, as you said. So that's probably the more likely way this plays out, and um, and plus it gives you a little bit of cap space back as the Flames. So I think they should have all the options on the table, but I can see them keeping Markstrom, kind of that, that veteran that's been there, done that. You know the competitor he is, know how hard he works. Like that's that kind of mentorish 
player along with Wolf, I could see that mm-hmm. probably how it plays out, but I, I wouldn't uh, necessarily bet the house mortgage on it either. <laughs> um, do you have a thought, Darren, on Bradtree Living's tenure with the organization? Um, you know, obviously that's the kind of big story of the week. It, it was on Monday uh, where it was announced that they are mutually parting ways. For me, at least on a personal level, I had and will continue to have a lot of time for Bradtree Living. I, I can just speak from my personal experience when I got to Calgary. I mean, he... Uh, made me feel very welcome and comfortable covering that team in that market. He was always very generous with his time. I think people who listen to this radio station would know that. He's done so many radio hits with Pat and and whatever show uh, needed him at important times this season. And I do think he might have had – I mean, you can disagree with me on this if you want, but, like, I think he probably had – one of the tougher general manager jobs in a Canadian market outside of Winnipeg. We know that Canadian teams uh, often are on players' no trade lists. And I think in recent years, I mean, Daryl Sutter is is a lightning rod, which I know definitely crossed Calgary off the list for, for some UFAs over the years, guys who were like, nope, not going there, don't want to play for him. Um, that just makes the job even tougher when you're a GM who needs to find a trade partner or a player who wants to go to Calgary. Um, but you covered him for, for almost a decade, Darren, and over his entire tenure with the organization. Uh, what do you think about Bradtree living in the news that he's not going to be back? Yeah, I mean, I echo exactly what you said. This was like a very classy, very personable, very driven. But yeah, like, like, like a, what, like he, you know, one of his qualities they always look for in players, part of their kind of their, their acumen they were looking for when they were sitting around who they draft, who they bring in. They're always looking for, for, for strong characters, good people that way. Um, but I think that's because that's what he was as well. Um, I think about, um, you know, during the pandemic, um, as, as things were, you know, un- we weren't sure what was happening when the season was starting up, when it was going to end. Like, like during all those things, every now and then they would hold a, a uh, little kind of almost like a touch base. And, and, and they would be bright for living and, and the media would get together on a, on a zoom call. And, um, and, and it really, he, he, there was no news. There, there was no, it wasn't a news conference. There wasn't anything to announce, but he just wanted to check in. And that's exactly how he operated. Like he, he always like, for me, whenever I, I it seems like probably 90% of the time we take the elevator down together at the same time. By the time I file that first story at the game, by the time the game's over, I get to the media elevator and, and there's Brad and, and Conroy and, and uh, Jordan Sigalette. Like, it seems like I'm all in. It's always small chat, right? He's always asking, you know, hey, how's kids? You know, what's going on? You know, he's just very genuine that way. And uh, so this is a guy who's, who's, who's very much uh, a great person. And I think he's going to be missed. And um, and you wonder, <laughs> you really wonder, oh, my goodness, to be a, a fly on the wall of his internal conversations with himself to, to walk mm-hmm. away from the job because from all accounts, you know, the extension was there for him to sign to walk away from an NHL GM job, it really makes you wonder, um, you know, what are all those circumstances? You mentioned a couple, the Canadian market, the coach has that lightning rod, but, you know, you wonder, you know, how, how challenging it is with, with the owner that the Flames have and, and, and just some of the, you know, the, the reporting structures that way. So it's, 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 um, 
you know, it's unfortunate to see a, a person leave for that circumstances, and, and no doubt that, that he has left a mark here, and he's going to be very hireable, and I would not expect him to be out of work any longer than, than he wants to be out of work. Yeah. And I think it's a big loss for this organization, and you know, now the search for for someone, but I think they still have to sort out some details first, right? Because if they're bringing in a GM, is he inheriting the coach? Can he bring his own coach? I mean, there's a ton of questions that still need to be answered before they can start interviewing uh, GMs, in my opinion. Yep, absolutely. There's there's a big to-do list in Calgary, and we've got a couple minutes left of the show here, so so let's maybe kind of steer the conversation that way. It's it's a big question, and it's a tough one right now, but like, what should come next for the organization. It sounds like everything is on the table, save for a rebuild, as John Bean said the other day. He's not even allowed to say the word. Uh, not that it's even really a realistic option with some of the contracts that they have in the books in terms of the the term and the dollar figure. Uh, but where do you think this team should go in the in the coming weeks and months of the off season, Darren? Well, <laughs> I mean, they, they they definitely need to. Sorry to drop that on you. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, know where to start, it's right? Because, I mean, it, it is, it is it's very complicated because what can you do? Like, it's, I think it's tough to, to, to bring in a GM and say, by the way, though, this, is, this, this coach is here. Um, but you also have to have some clarity on the coaching side. There's, there's contract extensions that need signing. I mean, you, you know, there, there's so much to unpack there. I guess next steps definitely need to – are you making a decision on the coach? Or are you leaving that to the GM? Or are you are you making a decision and that's what the GM faces? Like that's step one, and so so then the GMs know what they're getting into. Um, that's step one. Um, I think you need to do it fairly quickly. I don't think you let this linger. There's, you know, there's one thing that is certainly a bit of a shoulder season for GM activity right now while the playoffs are going on. But as as the, as that field cuts down from 16 to eight to four. You know, conversations start picking up, right? Like so, trade conversations, all that stuff. So, you've got to get your ducks in a row, and you've got to figure out what's happening and 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 get that communicated, so you know what you're doing with your own team. You are, are you going to start moving some of these contracts? These are significant players that uh, have just one year left before their UFAs. Um, we've seen enough of the players going out the door and and at the end of their contract that I think you need to be smart about that as well and and do you have to move a Toffoli if he's not going to resign? do you have to move a Lindholm do you need to either move or extend I don't think you can move or extend all six of those big names Backlund as well Hannafin Tannenbaum who go up on the blue line but you need to come up with a plan and the guy that needs to come up with a plan is the guy sitting is, is that empty chair that's right now right so there's a lot to there's a lot to do, and I think as much as they want to be patient and look and, and see what's out there, uh, I'll tell you, I think you're going to have to move pretty quickly once they get going because there's so much between all that and the draft as well, right? So it's just a matter of getting the getting those you know figuring out what you're doing with the coach first of all, and, and if you're actually doing something or whether you're going to leave that open to the GM, and then it's bringing that uh, and then finding the right person, and um, you know and then it's go time. Think of how rushed things were last year because the Flames didn't get an answer from Johnny Gaudreau until the night before free agency was set to open and the way that that set everything in motion. Like, the Flames don't have the luxury of time this year either. 
Uh, you can't have another year where the free agency is about to open and you're going to head to the, you know, you're at the draft and you're still waiting and then free agency is about to open and then you're still waiting until you're not and it's not the answer you want. And then, then look what happened, right? Everything kind of fell apart until Bradtree Living made the moves to minimize the damage. But the Flames don't have, the Flames can't let that happen again this year. And they're the ones that are kind of in control. Of course, like, you know, you've got to wait for some, maybe there's going to be some GM jobs that open after the first round of the playoffs. Um, there's, you're not going to hire Eric Tulski while the Carolina Hurricanes are, are still in the postseason. So it, there is some things that is, are not in their control, but, oh, it's going to be an interesting summer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and they're going to come into that chair with not only their, their eyes open, but their ears open also, right? So, so once that person is, is decided on, well, then you've got a lot of really key players, and you want to hear from them. You want to talk to them. And, and you look back to when Bradshaw Living arrived in Calgary. That, that first year was so much, like I think it was April when he started. It was basically still kind of the, 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 you know, Brian Burke running things because it took him so long to kind of get, like, the players were all gone. So then you've got to start figuring out who's who in the zoo in terms of your players and your minor league system. That's a lot of... That's a lot of familiarity you've got to kind of build up and you've got to talk to all of them. And so there's just a lot of research that you need to do to really get yourself up to speed before you can really feel comfortable making these pivotal decisions. So, yeah, it's going to be a sprint for whoever it is. And, uh, you know, that's where having some, some, I guess, some stability, um, whether it is Conroy that maybe gets promoted or whether Conroy remains an assistant and, and a good year, good person to be in that new person's ear but a little bit of stability will certainly help with brad pascal as well still as, as we understand under contract mm-hmm. awesome well great stuff darren thank you so much for joining on the show and as i said it's going to be an interesting uh coming weeks and months for the flames so we'll have to do this again soon okay thanks all right there he goes darren haynes from the canadian press he's covered the calgary flames uh, for several years now, always great insight from Darren as we look ahead to what comes next for the Calgary Flames. That's all the time that we have for today on the show. We will be back tomorrow uh, here on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. Enjoy the games tonight, and uh, we'll chat with you then.